God cares about what's happening in Clarissa's life, the challenges in front of her, um, because he loves her and sees her as his daughter. And uh, when he looks at you, when he looks at me, he sees love for us. He is crazy about us. He is concerned about our lives. He is interested in what is happening in your day-to-day, in your week in front of you. And he is walking with you through that. He wants to be alongside you if you would allow that to happen. Uh, God loves us and cares about us. I like to think about if God had an office, he'd have a picture of us up on the wall, you know? And when the angels came in, he would point to him and brag. He'd brag about us, you know, to the angels. Uh, he's crazy about us. He cares about us. When you reach out to him, he, he runs to you. When you talk to him, he, he listens to your heart. When you turn your back on him, he, he longs for your return. I think about when my kids were born, and uh, from the moment they came out and sprang open, if you ever watch kids being born, they just sort of spring alive, you know, like everything sticks out. And uh, the moment that happened, I knew I was undone. I, they had my heart. They hadn't done anything yet. They hadn't earned my affections. I just loved them and knew I would do anything for them, that I would, I would do whatever they needed to, to find life and to find God, and, and even allowing them to go through difficult times, because I know that God uses those difficult times to grow our faith. But the moment they asked for rescue and asked for help, I would be there in a moment. And uh, you need to know a secret about me. Uh, I'm a mess, all right? I'm screwed up. And, and if I can love my kids that way, how much more can our Heavenly Father, our perfect Heavenly Father, love us as our Father, as our Dad, when He looks at us? God is crazy about you. Paul, the, the first century follower of Jesus, wrote these words to his friends in, in Ephesus. He said, Long before God laid down earth's foundations, He had us in mind, had settled on us as the focus of his love, to be made whole and holy by his love. Paul says that when God was saying, let there be light, he was looking down through the centuries and he saw us, and he was excited about when we were going to be born. Paul would later write in this this passage that he wanted his friends to know how, how wide and how deep and how high God's love was for them, how it was just incredible. They could never really understand how much he loved them. So you might feel like God is disappointed in you this morning, but, but he is not. You might feel like God has abandoned you, but he has not. You might wonder if God is angry at you. He is not. You might feel like there's no way that God could use me to help someone else come into relationship with him. And I want you to know that God is ready to use you in a powerful way in your family, among your neighbors, at work, at school, to share the the good news of what Jesus had done for us. He can do that today in your life. How you see yourself is is probably different than how God sees you. How you look at yourself, when you look in the mirror, what you see is probably different than how God sees you. Your identity, your self-image, all of that needs to be informed by what God sees in you because he created you and what he thinks about you matters more than anything else. Our self-worth, our identity usually is, is formed by how, how, we think we are matter, how we think we matter or are valued in our family or in our communities, the things that we bring, how we think people see us. Our self-image is, is how our parents loved us and, and has a lot to do with how we see God's love for us as well. All that comes together to inform our identity. And there's a lot of misinformation out there that you will be fed day in and day out about who you are or what gives you value or where you belong It tends to shift us off the truth of of what God says about us, and and we settle for a a lesser understanding of ourselves, and and we respond to that in our lives. Uh, About a year or so ago, a new piece of wardrobe 
uh, started to show up in our lives, uh, something that was necessary. And uh, we didn't have it, so we had to go and find it. And I even had friends that began to make these, these, these pieces of wardrobe and, and put them together and, and share them with their neighbors and their, their family. I got one from a couple of friends. Anybody know what I'm talking about? What kind of wardrobe? Masks. That's right, masks. We started to have to wear these masks. They were a necessity for us. And uh, the longer people wore them, the more creative they got. I, I have some creative masks this morning I want to share with you. Uh, let's put the first picture up. I like this mask. Where does his face end and the mask begin? You don't know. And uh, we don't know if that's what he looks like or not. Okay, next one. Let's see the next one here. Now, that's a little hard to read, but it says, if you're reading this, you're too close. So um, I, like, I like her. She's saying, you know, I'm, I might be a little more introverted. I need a little distance. And uh, so, you know, this is for my safety, for your good, but I'm just going to ask you to step back a little bit. You know, that's, that's a good way to approach it. Let's see the next one. Uh, yeah. Yeah, she's missing the point. I don't think she understands what this is. It's not salad you're supposed to put on your face. Uh, she's kind of missing it. So my, my friends, they would create these masks for, their, 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 for me, for others, and they would take about an hour to put these together. I don't know if any of you made them, but, you know, picking out the fabric, laying it out, cutting it, stitching it, all that, about an hour they would put into it. Uh, because of our skewed self-image, the way that we misidentify ourselves, uh, we put a lot more time into the masks that we wear. We, we spend lifetimes building the mask that we're going to put on. Uh, because a lot of times, there's things in my life that, that I don't want you to see. There's things about me that, that are hard to reveal. And, and we all have these things. And so we, we put on what we think is a more acceptable version of ourselves. And that's what we put out in front of people. And, and we put that before them and, and hope that that's going to be okay. We hide behind these masks. And all the while, our true identity is being called out of us by God. John Eldridge is an author and and really a leader in our country, he writes these words about image. There is no escaping your identity. You will not live beyond how you see yourself, not for long. So you, you can't get away from your, your self-image. You can hide for a while, but eventually that mask is going to come off. And usually it's when you get into stressful situations or when you get into times of loss or pain when, when that true self tends to come out. And uh, I, this isn't true for everyone, but most of the time, very rarely, does, is it like someone peeking around the corner or like an artist, you know, pulling a curtain off a new piece of art to reveal something. It's more like an explosion that sends shockwaves into those who are around you. And when that, when that real self comes out, it, does, it sometimes explodes. And when you see people's reaction to it, what you quickly do is you go, oh, that's not going well. You know, this is not looking good. And so you pull it back real quick and you get behind that mask again. And God is inviting you to allow him to speak into you this, the true identity that you have, the ways that he wants to renew your heart and your soul so that you don't have to hide out any longer, so you can be who you truly are. When you are settled in your identity, you're able to be the same person at work as you are at home, as you are at church, as you are when you're with your friends. When you are unsettled in your identity, it's much harder to live that out because you're putting on different masks. You're swapping and trying to look right in front of other people. We end up living out of this false self, a made-up identity that we think will be more accepted from others. But when you live out of a false self like that, what actually happens is you, you don't make good connections with others. You, you miss out on the closeness of friendship. You miss out on the intimacy that God created you to have with other people around you. Because you think, well, they like the mask. They like what they see. But, but if they knew what was really going on inside of me, they, they wouldn't be all that interested in being my friend. They might like this, but I, I can't show them what's really going on because they wouldn't like that. And so you keep people at a little bit of a distance and you end up missing out on the real closeness and intimacy that God created you for. 
There's a man in the Bible that experienced this revolution in his life. He, he experienced God bringing out his true identity, and he began to walk in that. And his name is Matthew. And we're going to look at his story this morning. So if you've got a Bible with you, uh, look up Luke chapter 5. We're going to go to Luke chapter 5, verse 27. You can open up the Bible app. And uh, we're going to look at it. It's a shorter story this morning, but it really has a good message for us. Luke chapter 5, verse 27. And it's written um, in, in the Gospel of Luke. And we know Matthew was a writer of a gospel as well. He wrote the first book in the New Testament. And uh, he's sharing the stories of Jesus. And when he encountered Jesus, he really didn't have a connection with God. He, he, he was looking for one, I think, but he didn't have that connection. And in the story here, he's called Levi. So he had Matthew and Levi with, were his names. Matthew was his, his uh, Roman name, and Levi was his Hebrew name, his Jewish name. And uh, so we know him by m- both names. And let's see how Jesus called something new out of Levi's lives, life here. So Luke chapter 5, verse 27. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed Jesus. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house. A large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered. I I like how they said that to his followers, but Jesus is like, let me step in here, and I'm going to tell you what's going on. Jesus answered them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Matthew was a tax collector for the Roman Empire. His tax booth was located in the ancient city of Capernaum, where Jesus and and many of his friends were from. Uh, Jesus and his small tribe would have walked by Matthew's tax booth a few times uh, during the week. Uh, They probably, when it's time to pay taxes, they probably went to Matthew to pay those taxes. And he was Jewish, but he decided to give his life to the collection of taxes for this empire called Rome. And many of you know the history of this, but Rome was was, uh, an oppressive force over the entire ancient world that was known at that time. And there was a peace that came over the world because of this oppression, but it was an oppressive peace. It was a forced peace. And the people of Israel, Israel were under the thumb of the Roman Empire, and they would extract taxes from them, money from them, so the Romans could do what they wanted to do. And the Jews knew kind of what order they were in. We are underneath this umbrella of an oppressive government. And Matthew said, I'm going to go with them, and I'm going to help collect taxes for them, even though he was Jewish. You know, this had to affect his relationship with his family and friends. You know, it had to affect his connection with his community. It had ruined his reputation. No one wanted to hang out with him. His reputation was was gone because of his choice to collect taxes. A lot like a Broncos fan in Kansas City, right? You know, (laughs) this is going to be tough for Matthew, for Levi. You could say he was probably wealthy when it comes to money in his pocket, but when it came to community, Matthew was bankrupt. He was lacking connection with those around him. One author would write about this, John MacArthur, in his book, The Twelve Ordinary Men. He writes this about Matthew. Matthew was the one the people saw and resented most. They couldn't see the whole Roman Empire, but they could see that tax collector. And he was the worst of the worst. No self-respecting Jew in his right mind would ever choose to be a tax collector. He has effectively cut himself off, not only from his own people, but also from his God. After all, since he was banned from the synagogue and forbidden to sacrifice and worship in the temple, he was in essence worse off religiously than a Gentile. 
because of his choices, he wasn't allowed to worship with his community. He wasn't allowed to come into the holy places for the Jewish people. In fact, there was a Jewish law that said it's okay to lie to a tax collector. You know, the Ten Commandments say do not lie, but they made a little, a little exception over here. For tax collectors, you can lie to them because they're just going to take advantage of you. So go ahead and lie. That's how Matthew was in his community. How do you think Matthew saw himself? When he looked in the mirror, when he thought about who he was, what, what kind of words do you think came to his mind? How do you think his self-esteem was doing? To choose tax collecting, I think there's probably two options when he looked at his life. One was he saw money as the answer to all the problems he was facing. He saw answer as security or a solution. And so he thought, the more I can get, if I can get more and more money, I'm going to be okay. I'm going to have the power to control things. I'm going to be all right the more money I get. So I'm going to do this tax collecting thing because it's going to bring in all the money I need. That's one, maybe one way he thought about himself. Or second, maybe he, he had gotten hurt somehow in the Jewish community. Maybe his family had experienced some kind of hardship where his neighbors or the community of faith had kind of turned away from them or pushed them away. And he was like, fine, if you're not going to take me, I'm going to go over here. And I'm going to become part of this oppressive force against you. You can hear the opinion of the religious leaders when they thought about Matthew. They said to Jesus' friends, why are you hanging out with all these sinners, tax collectors? Just put a little equal sign in between there, right? Sinners equals tax collectors, all the wrong people. They didn't think much of Matthew or what he was doing. Matthew had allowed himself to pursue this lie in his mind about who he was, but I think his heart was still resonating and, and seeking after God. In his mind, he had kind of settled for this lie that I, whatever I can earn, the money I can bring in, that's going to give me value. Well, in his heart, he knew that was off. He knew there was something greater, something better. In his mind, he maybe had heard those words of being put out, rejected, uh, the deception that he was unaccepted and unloved, and, and that, was, he, that was maybe his mental reality. But in his heart, he longed for something else. He wanted to have connection with his people. And I say that because that internal struggle of his was resolved when Jesus, when the rabbi, when the great healer, when the teacher, the Messiah came to him and said, hey, come and follow me. And the heart of Matthew responded. He, he would have known Jesus. He would have heard about this traveling rabbi that was doing incredible things. He maybe even heard Jesus say things like, you cannot serve both God and money. I, I think Matthew would have bumped into formerly blind people in his neighborhood or those that weren't able to do things physically that now were able to do things physically, just like their whole community was experiencing. He would have heard about Jesus. And so when Jesus said to him, follow me, in essence, what Jesus was saying was, hey, come be part of what I'm doing in the world today. Come, come join me in the revolution of what God is doing to bring new life and new hope to our community. And when Matthew got that invitation, he got up and he responded and he left everything to follow Jesus. That's what the text says. It says that Levi got up, left everything, and followed Jesus. That left everything. It included his, his false self, this false understanding of who he was. It included so much of his life that he left behind. The stories of Jesus in the Bible talk about three different tax collectors. Uh, Matthew was one of those, and each one of them responded to Jesus. Matthew was one. He became a follower of Jesus. Zacchaeus is another tax collector we're introduced to in the Gospel of Luke, a chief tax collector, and, and he becomes aware that he is part of the community of God. What Jesus said to him is like, you are, you are also a son of Abraham. He says, you know that, right, Zacchaeus? You are also part of this community. And Zacchaeus says, I'm going to make everything right. All the things I've done wrong, I'm going to make it right. I'm going to allow my identity to be changed. And there was a third tax collector that Jesus told a story about in Luke chapter 18, 
And this tax collector was waiting for his turn to pray. And when it became his turn, Jesus said, this is what he prayed. God, have mercy on me. I am a sinner. That's it. That was his prayer. God, have mercy on me. I am a sinner. There's no amen. There's no pretty language. Just this is my reality. And Jesus said that he walked away right with God. He walked away accepted by God because he understood where he was and where he wanted to be. And I think that's part of why Jesus said to those who were seeing that party happen that night when they said, why are you hanging out with all the wrong people? I think that's part of why Jesus said, well, I came for the, for the sinners, not the righteous. I came for those who are sick, not those who are healthy. Because he knows that that's where we have to start with our identity. We have to start by acknowledging that we are sick, that we are in need of his grace. Jesus said, I didn't come for the righteous. I think you could put a little word in front of that. I didn't come for the self-righteous. I came for those who are sick, who are in need, who are sinners. And we have to start, if we're going to rightly understand our identity, our position with God, we have to start there. We are people in need of grace because we know that we push away from God. We know that we do things that don't honor him, what the Bible calls sin. And Jesus says, you wanna, I want to turn your life around. And it starts by acknowledging that I am sick. Jesus came because I'm sick, and he's going to heal me. He's going to bring new life. Brennan Manning thinks deeply about God. He's an author, and this is what he says about this. He says, accepting the reality of our sinfulness means accepting our authentic self. Accepting the reality of our sinfulness means accepting our authentic self. Many of you have done that. You've accepted that. You've asked Jesus to forgive you, and he has. And his forgiveness is complete. It covers everything I've done. Covers what's happening right now, it covers everything that's going to come in the future. It's a one time movement. I'm washed clean, I'm made right. And then I continue to walk with him and allow him to refine me. Accepting the reality of my sinfulness means accepting my authentic self. So, my question for you this morning is who is helping you grow in your identity? Who are you allowing to speak into how you see yourself? How has that been formed in you? And I want to encourage you to allow God to have the first word about who you are. Allow God to speak into your heart about who you are really. What is it about you that is valuable and matters in this world? I want, to, I want you to think about a little phrase, and we're going to work on this together in a moment, but, but an I am phrase. How would you fill that in? I am what? What would you say about yourself? I am, and you could fill in the blank there. Like I might fill it in with I am a father. I am loved. I am a husband. I am a pastor. I might fill in that blank with those kinds of words, part of my identity, part of my understanding of myself. There's been other times when I've gone through difficult days. Uh, many of you have been there with me in the shadow land, you know, where, where our heart kind of hides out in a cave for a while when we go through hardship and struggle. And during those seasons of my life, I might have had a different word there, like I am afraid, I am angry, I am alone, I am abandoned. Those are sometimes words I would put in there. But God would say something different, wouldn't he? God would say, well, that might be how you feel, but that's just not true because I am with you and you are deeply loved. God has a lot to say into who we are. I am, and what would you put into that blank? And let's ask God to fill it in for us. I think God would say things like, you are precious. You are powerful. You are part of a bigger story. You are my daughter. You are my son. You are forgiven. You are accepted. Those aren't words I'm just making up. Those are words that come from Scripture. The stories of God where Jesus says these words over us, where his, the New Testament writers say, this is how God sees you. That, that is what is true about our identity. 
I'm going to take just a moment and have you process that with me. So at the end of your aisles, there's some post-it notes on the floor there, maybe under your chair on the aisles there. If you just reach down there and pick up those post-it notes, I want everybody to get a post-it note. So if you take one and then pass it down the aisle, uh, that would be great. And we're going we're to write down that little phrase on that post-it note, I am. And I'm going to ask you to put a word or maybe two words on that little post-it note. So share your pen. If you've got a pen, share it with those around you. Everybody's got a post-it note. And just write down, I am, and then write down a word or maybe two words that just summarize, how does God see you? What is it, when, he, when he sings over you, what are the words that he sings? What does your true self look like? Go ahead and write down a thought there, a word, maybe two. In a moment, I'm going to ask people to collect these, so don't, don't put your name on it. It's just, we're just going to put I am and then a word or maybe two words. We're going to put them up here on this little wall. This is first service over here, and we're going to add to what first service did. And then this is going to be out in the lobby for the week, and it will be there next Sunday. And I want you to come in next Sunday and see that wall and be reminded of who you truly are. Because as you head into this week, you're going to hear a lot of voices telling you who you are. You're going to have a lot of advertisers. You're going to have a lot of uh, newscasters. You're going to have a lot of writers. You're going to have a lot of musicians and songs trying to tell you who you are. And I want you to be reminded when, right when you walk in the building, oh yeah, this is who I am. I'm forgiven. I am loved. I am accepted. I am a child of God. We need to be reminded of that over and over again because that's who we truly are. So as you finish writing down that word, hopefully you've got that done. Uh, I just want you to lift them up, or you could pass them down the aisle and kind of get a big pack of them and lift them up. I've got some volunteers here that are going to collect them, and they're going to bring them up and, and stick them on this wall for us as we finish up here this morning. So go ahead and lift those up as you've, you've got them done, and uh, we, want to, we want to put them before us as a reminder of our true selves, what, who, who we really are as children of God. I want to give just a moment for those to get picked up. If you're online watching, you can do this at home. Um, you know, make a little poster, write down I am and stick it on your fridge and just let that be your reminder as you're going through this week. You are accepted by God. You are loved by God. He created you. He knows you. Uh, he sees all of the flaws of our lives, all of the things that we've done wrong. And he says, I still forgive you and accept you. I want you to be part of what I'm, what I'm doing in the world. When you start to allow that truth to sink deeply into your life, sink into your heart. It has a way of changing you. It has a way of helping you see this world in a different way. And the correct response to the revolution that God is bringing in our lives, this new life he's bringing us, the correct response is to celebrate, is to have a party. That's what Matthew did, right? The text, the story here tells us that as soon as he began to follow Jesus that night, he had a great banquet at his house, it says. He threw a party to celebrate. I don't know if you've been watching the Olympics at all. They've been going on for a week. Uh, I love watching the Olympics, all the competition and the nations coming together to play. Last Monday night there was a swim, some swim competitions, and I was struck by one of the Australian swimmers. When she won a medal, they panned up into the, from the, the pool up into the audience where you could see her coach, and he was celebrating. I don't know if you saw this clip of this Australian coach celebrating. I want to show you this clip. I think we've got it. And um, we don't need the sound for it, sound guys, uh, but if we could show that little video clip, that would be great. Uh, he was just celebrating and letting loose as, as his swimmer, his athlete, uh, came in and won one of the medals. I'm not sure if we've got it or not. Maybe we don't. I could show you, yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe you've seen, if you haven't, uh, he just lets loose. I mean, he becomes unhinged. 
He is, he's got long hair and he's shaking his head. He's yelling up in the air. At one point, he grabs like a glass wall and just starts to shake it back and forth. He is beside himself with excitement because he sees this person he cares about achieving the dreams that she's had. And he, and he celebrates because that's what we do. When we see something, when we are part of good news and we are part of a new movement of God in our world, we celebrate. That's the natural kind of reaction to it. We see Matthew doing that. And again, the, he, was, he brought together all of his friends, which of course, according to the religious elite, were all the wrong people. But he brought them together and said, you've got to meet the one who is transforming my life. And he celebrated. I want to do that with you right now. I want to celebrate with you. And uh, I want to give us just a few seconds to, to clap and to cheer and to yell, to give high fives, to do chest bumps. I don't know what you need to do. Uh, whatever you need to do to celebrate. Uh, it's going to be a little awkward. It's going to be a little weird. But I think it's good for us to practice celebrating. So I want to invite you to stand. Go ahead and stand up. I'm going to give you the countdown. Ready? Three, two, one. Let it loose. Woo! Yeah. Woo! All right. Okay, you can sit back down. Good job. Yeah. <laughs> you want to keep the celebration going. Uh, that is the appropriate response to the new life that we have because of what Jesus has done for us. He has transformed our lives. He has given us a new way to see ourselves. And we don't have to settle any longer for the lies. We don't have to settle for um, the half-truth or the false self. We can say, I'm a child of God. I am forgiven. And I have a new life to live. And when we allow God to transform us that way and to live that out in our communities... You know it's going to draw people to Jesus. That's all it's going to. That's what it's going to do. It's going to draw them to God when they see what He's done in your world and in your life. And we can do all of this because of what Jesus did for us two thousand years ago when He died on the cross, when He came back to life and gave us a new life. We're going to celebrate communion together this morning. We're going to remember what Jesus did for us. And um, Daniel and the band are going to invite us into that time of communion. If you don't have those elements, they're in a basket on the back table. There, I just want to encourage you to to get up and go get those while we're listening to this song and singing this song together. But uh, let's, let's commune with God in this time.